Dzień dobry, dzieci. It's the Flurza Experience, a show about card games. It's episode 20. That's a big one. I am Flake, a.k.a. Matt DeMarco. It's nice to see you. I'm joined by my co-pilot, my sidekick. Well, I know sidekick's not the word because I would assume that like I'm in charge. Nobody's in charge here. We're Nobody's in charge. We, we go like all in free, you know. Yeah, Reddit's we, we, in charge. We, our, our hands are here. The, yeah. <laughs> the steering wheel is just going whatever it is. <laughs> Wee! Yep. Um, I'm joined by my good friend, the two-wheel Tyrannosaurus. Oh, two-wheel Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> you like that one? <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine a Tyrannosaurus on the bike. That's, yeah, that'd be amazing. <laughs> the little hands on the, on the handlebars? Yeah, it would have to be modified. Big-ass legs? Yeah. yeah. I, I watched... Okay. Uh, yeah. I watched Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom on the way back from uh, for I watched it for like the second or third time. It's a it's a movie where every time I have like some time, you know, where I want to watch a movie or do whatever and I see it, I'm like, maybe it's not as bad as I thought. So I put it back on and at the end of it I'm like, yeah, it was bad as I thought. Like why don't I trust myself? I just feel like it it should be better, maybe, but maybe maybe it's your guilty pleasure. Like we have these guilty pleasure movies that we watch. Like uh, I I still love don't you know don't mess with the Zohan with Adam Sandler. Like that's like the, one of the worst movies, but it makes me laugh all the time. And I even sometimes when I have a bad day, I just watch clips on YouTube from it, and it still makes me laugh. So I mean, it's a win win. It is a win win. I don't think I, I think I've never seen that movie all the way through. If ever I come visit you, we're gonna sit down and we'll watch it. That'll be the one. You could show yes. me. You'll be like, this is the movie. This is the one. This is it. This is the one you have to watch. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm also gonna catch up on all the Star Wars stuff so we can talk about that because Disney Plus is officially in Poland since yesterday. Oh, you gotta watch <laughs> Mandalorian. It. You gotta watch Book of yes. Boba Fett, Obi Wan, everything. Yes, everything. Yes. Perfect. Yes. We can so, talk about it. Yeah, it's uh, dude, 20 episodes already. Can you 20, believe that? 20, the big two. Oh, man. Uh, we're soon to be 21, which means we can legally drink alcohol in the United States, right? Is That's, it the same for Canada or not? Canada is, um, in Ontario, it's 19. In Quebec, where okay. I grew up, it was 18. But in reality, okay. it was like 16 because like, nobody so cared. So we're almost legal. Legal to party. <laughs> I'm always legal to party, baby. Let's go. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but it's uh, it's a little strange because there was I just came back from five days in Las Vegas. And Las Vegas, first of all, it was for for the Celsius people, it was about forty two and forty or forty three every day for five days. Jeez. Yeah, it was about hundred and fifteen. It was like a hundred between one hundred and thirteen and one hundred and fifteen degrees consistently for five straight days. It was middle of the night, like. I'd be walking out of the hotel or out of the casino going somewhere at like two in the morning and it was like 38 degrees. I was like, what is going on? It was That's just so unbelievable. I've crazy. been once to Vegas as a kid with my parents. Uh, I, the, the, the thing that I remember the most is like whenever we went into a, like a hotel that of course had a casino in it, the security guards would, would be like, you know, cover his eyes so he doesn't see the people gambling, which was like very weird for me. But I also remember that in like there was like you would go downstairs, there was like a kids casino where you could play like games and you would get raffle tickets and those tickets you could exchange for other stuff to like get like prizes. Yeah. So on the other hand, you're not allowed to see people gambling, but you're able to gamble yourself in order to get toys. Mm. Yeah. And here we are talking about card games where you go buy packs looking yeah. for big prizes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, man. Influence me in any way, probably yes. But yeah, I remember being there once, 
And I was like, man, we're driving through a desert. We're driving through a de desert because we used to live in California. Then we get to like Vegas. And we're like, holy shit, there is actually a city in the middle of a freaking like desert. That's just incredible. And how do they get their stuff here? Like they're in the middle of nowhere. It's And then you, you are in the city and it's just like, there's lights everywhere. It's like, it's so amazing. It's so incredible to experience. As a kid, I was very overwhelmed, especially coming from Poland, which we don't have anything like even remotely similar to that. So yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll be talking about your Vegas trip, but we also will be talking about tournaments. So tournaments and in, in, in any form and, and function. And uh, I feel like you have probably a little bit more experience than me when it comes to on-site tournaments. I have a lot of experience when it comes to like Gwen related tournaments, but also magic tournaments that I go to local ones and bigger ones. So probably like differentiate and talk about all those. And yeah, then we'll probably get to your questions, right? Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. And yeah, the tournaments, uh, I mean, the topic kind of popped up because I just came back from Las Vegas yeah. where they had the uh, Flesh and Blood Uprising premiere. Uprising is the new set that came out and they had a world premiere event, which is was everybody can get their hands on the cards, I think like a week or two before they were released. And um, it was the most you know, new cards are new cards. New cards are always a great and exciting time, but playing was awesome. And like it was the, there was the uprising premiere event, which was the Friday. So everybody was able to play sealed sealed for those who don't know is everybody gets six packs of cards and you're supposed to make a deck out of those six packs right. and uh, which is challenging. However, it, it's, it's, it's fairly straightforward. Basically like you're, you're, you're like, okay, you know, I, I got to pick a hero and then build a deck around it with, based on the cards. So you evaluate your pool, you find out which cards work for which heroes, and then you just make your best deck. But it's challenging because you're you're you don't have a constructed feel. You're, nothing's guaranteed. You know, you have to really manufacture uh, good turns to beat your opponent. But the the main thing that I was there for was uh, something called uh, Team Blitz. So mm -hmm. Blitz format in Flesh and Blood, which I think that you played. You played Blitz. You played the Blitz heroes. We'll talk about that. I think, but what? don't 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 spoil it. I want to make a big like announcement. Like, ah, no, you didn't do anything. You didn't do anything. You nothing. You sat at home watching. I was, I, yeah, I was. Yeah, watching Zohan. Zohan, yeah. Um, <laughs> and working. So Blitz Team Blitz was. I I was never a fan of of Blitz. I played it when I started the game, but uh, Blitz to me felt like the games were too short. There wasn't much uh, room to really develop strategy and whatnot. So I wasn't a big fan, but the team element was something that I was big on, and I really wanted to go to Vegas for the world premiere of the new set. So I got recruited, and I would say I got recruited. A couple of us were like, oh, let's just make a team, and we decided that we're going to try hard for it. So I spent a week of about four or five hours a day practicing, and I played like a god, and I, I'm very Ooh. proud of myself. And look, I don't, I don't want to brag, because it is a team event, and the team performed admirably. Our, my team was really, really just... It, like. We finished three and three, and then we dropped mm -hmm. out of the tournament. We didn't make day two, um, but the just the, the the sentiment of having the team mentality of discussing strategy, of working together, and whatnot—it's fun. It is it's fun. fun. I love that aspect of it. And it, it it was it was it was great camaraderie. And what's amazing about it too is that, um, like the way it works for those who don't know is that you're you have a team of three, and you're faced off against another team of three, and the three people that you are. You cannot duplicate heroes, so you can't mm -hmm. have the same hero all the way through. So you have to decide, like, okay, we need a, we should get a control hero, we should get an aggressive hero, we should maybe get a, another aggressive hero, blah blah blah. Anyway, and then you're paired off against another team, and your team needs to win at least two of the three games in order to, to win the matchup. Um, mm -hmm. But was was amazing was that we faced off against teams that came in with like themes, like there was like 
teams that like all dressed in like the same kind of costume some teams dressed That's in like so uniforms cool. there was a team that dressed up in all in like really look like nice looking suits and ties and like brought briefcases we saw like a team that uh my what what i wanted to do was in flesh and blood there's three ninja heroes that you can play so i yeah. want to show up as the three ninjas like from the movie from like the 90s um so we we're all gonna dress up as the three ninjas and play all three ninjas but then we decided we wanted to try hard a bit um Ooh. yeah but it was amazing and like the people that we played against, like I was playing on a team with um, Eric Longquist, aka Doa, G G like uh, DOA, who's like a big, um, you know, uh, like one of the OG, like legendary caster people. There was me who casts and like does the podcast for Flesh and Blood, and another buddy of mine, uh, Rick, who um, is a, a rep from BCW Supplies and does content as well. So people were recognizing us, and it was great because we'd be paired off against them, and the vibe was never about the game. The vibe was about meeting and having a good time. The amount of laughs that we were having, you know, um, like once you're like kind of not, you know, once you have like an X1 or X2 record, like once you start losing matches, you know, it, 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 you kind of take a little bit of the edge off. So it's a little bit more fun. So everybody was really jovial and happy and just having a good yeah. time. It was the happiest and most um, just... The amount of camaraderie, the amount of like community spirit that was there was the best That's thing I've ever felt. That's what I love about in-person events, like the community aspect of bringing people together who are joined by something that they love or something that they do all together. Like I love this. I I, I experienced this both in in card games, but also uh, when it comes to video games, whenever we do anything on CDPR side as a community gathering. So that's another thing. And then also cycling community for me is like meeting up with people talking about bikes and parts and stuff like that. And meetups is it's just awesome. And and I I I I think the, the thing that always draws me into these things more is actually this being part of this community, getting to interact with different people, getting to know different people. And just having a good time because I think in the end that's what it matters, right? And it, and I feel like we kind of miss this in online because we can only have this in, let's say the you know the aspect of of like a, I don't know a Discord or Reddit or something like that. But the problem with online is very anonymous and you don't really get to like you know meet these people like in person, interact with them, go for drinks, I don't know, go get something to eat. Like even these like very simple trivial things, they're very like. Team, like team building, but also community building. And I love it. I love it. I, that's, that's probably why I'm a community manager, right? Out of all things. Yeah. And like, that's the joy that you can squeeze out of these events. And like, I, I, I've been to events, obviously, where like the, the vibe was not good and whatnot, or like people were just, you know, and, and like once the games became more um, important, like they were, they're a little bit more, um, more at stake, you know? Yeah. Like but like, everybody's like focused. Well, I, and I completely get it because like there was a lot on the line, yeah. like, but, um, when it came down to it, you know, for us in like the loser bracket, as it were, uh, we weren't, we weren't there to, to necessarily like, if we won a match, it wasn't like, okay, win and in, it was just, you know, you, it was just another win. So once mm -hmm. we kind of knew that it, we didn't really have a chance at top eight, we were just like, all right, let's just, you know, mess around. But um, big ups to my teammates, Rick and, and Doa, because they were they were awesome. It was just fun to it was fun to just you like you, you cruise around like this trio of teams. And there were some stacked ass teams. There were teams out there where it's like, OK, uh, there's a team there with a national champion and two major tournament like champions. Uh, there's nice. like, there's like, there's the, like a pro tour, uh, a pro tour top four player and two other, uh, like it was ridiculous. Some of the stack teams that were out there and some were just like, 
because they're friends and they're they play together and they're good. <laughs> and others were like they were seeking each other out, being like, okay, we want to make like an absolutely stacked, you know, team. But then there was teams that was just friends that just showed up to have a good nice. time. And and there there was um there was uh there's a meme character. His name is <laughs> Jenis What You Need, and he's a merchant. And nobody plays him because he's not competitive at all. In the entire field of like several, maybe like three or four hundred players, there were two in the entire oh, field. Wow. And I played both of them. Nice. <laughs> and it was hilarious. And the way that this this kind of hero works is that his whole uh, mantra as a merchant is that he he plays cards and does things that present uh, decisions to the opponent. So to me, which are like, hey, if you want, I'll let you put a card under your deck and draw a card. But if you do, I get a copper token or a silver token. And then he gets like, nice. you like pay him for op, like, you know, and he can do things with the silver tokens. So the way that this dude was doing it was like, he was like playing the role. He's like, he's like, what do you need? What do you got? I got what you need. Show me what you got. If you want, I can give you a nice deal here. You put that card under your deck, you draw a card, you throw me a token. It's all good. We're all happy here. And it was just like hilarious. <laughs> it was so funny. And I got a Love it. Yeah, we were having such a good time that at one point I got a, a warning from a judge. <laughs> wow, wow. Wow. No fun allowed. <laughs> well, it, so what happened was at one point, there's a card in Flesh and Blood called Pick a Card, Any Card. What the card mm -hmm. says essentially is that um, your opponent plays it. So the merchant player played it. And it says, reveal your hand, so all four cards, and mm -hmm. then shuffle them, and then pick a random, like, name a card and pick a random card. If you're correct with the name of the card, uh, you create a silver token, which he does cool things with. And repeat yeah. it four times. So I shuffle the card. I do, like, the three-card Monty shuffling thing. I'm like, all right, follow the queen, follow the queen. And then he picks it, and he gets it, and I celebrate. We all celebrate. And then he, d and it's like, we have to repeat it three more times. So on the, on the other time, I start shuffling and then I stand up on the chair and I'm like, oh. I'm like, all right, here we go. Gather around. And the judge comes back. He's like, hey, get down there. It's dangerous. Like, relax. And I'm like, he's like, I'm like, oh, my God, like, relax. <laughs> it's just Dude, it's just a chair. I won't fall. I yeah. got this. I got this. I know this is America. Everybody's about health and safety and being sued about everything. But oh. yeah, let's just chill. Let's just chill. I got this. So, the, yeah, the, the, again, the topic that we're talking about here, again, is, is tournaments. And, and I think one of the first things that we should sort of dig into is, like, the, the fact that I, ha I now have a lot of experience from the big scene of playing in-person tournaments. And you have a plethora of experience of doing the FNMs, the smaller stuff, like the smaller scale yeah. stuff as well. So if we just focus right now on, like, the paper card game, you know, just the vibe of being able to play a across from somebody and... Playing low stakes and playing high stakes, I feel like I've played, I've played, you know, medium stakes, I'll say. Like, I've played for Pro Tour invites, but I've never played for a $10,000 cash prize or anything like that. Um, Same. Yeah, and, and it's like, it's another vibe versus ladder, because I think a lot of players need to understand, and I mention this all the time whenever I'm like, for instance, when I'm casting Gwent and talking about deck building and such like that, like, mm -hmm. ladder versus tournament play, you're still looking to win, but it's a different thing. Different worlds. Like, the same game, but different worlds, right? It's totally different. It is, and it's, because the metas are different, you know, like, you gotta be prepared for other things. Um, you know, in terms of your tournament experiences, is, is there any that kind of like what's like what drives you to go to tournaments? 
Um, once again, I feel, I feel like it's just a community aspect actually getting to like, this is something that I mentioned in the previous ones that we did. Like I, I like going to maybe not F and M's because they're on Mondays, which is weird. Uh, but what? modern Mondays, <laughs> modern Mondays, they could have been M and M's and then I would show be, up. They used to be on Fridays, but now they, they kind of moved them to Mondays and actually Mondays after work is, is much better than, than Fridays to be honest. Cause on Fridays, there's always something different to do. Um, and I go to these because I just, I, I mean, like I said, it's been the same people throughout the last three to four years that always come there. So it's like, I love meeting these people, talk, getting to talk to them, see what's up with in their life. Um, they recognize me, of course, from Gwen and stuff like that. So we get to talk a little bit about Gwen, but everything focuses around magic in this case. So, um, yeah, I think it's just actually going to a physical store and playing with others, checking out some binders, actually having like this this kind of thing that I grew up with when it comes to card games. Like this is how it used to be before we had all these, you know, online clients, stuff like that. Um, so it feels very, you know, offline and very um, okay boomer, but I feel like, you know, it's it's something that has always been with me. And I love uh, the, the, maybe not, the, I'm not going there for like su being super competitive, but I like just, you know, shuffling real cards in hand, dealing them out, playing them out. Um, getting to talk to different people, maybe not, but even sometimes not even talking, but just, you know, sitting there, chilling, listening in on some of the conversations. Uh, plus, I feel like the players that come in Warsaw to these, um, they're like one of the best modern players in Poland itself. So it's really cool to get their perspective about the game, maybe learn a little bit more about the game um, and kind of the, the the current meta, the meta that is in that shop. Um, some people, sometimes people come with like crazy, weird, wild decks. And it's really also fun to see that. I feel like, you know, I can also be playing modern online, but it's like, it, it kind of, you know, it feels less, less like it has like the soul of this personal experience. So I just like that. And I think it just came from the fact that, you know, this is what I wanted. Like, you know, when I was growing up, you would sit in front of someone and slaying cards. And I really appreciate like flesh and blood that they're doing this and they're kind of moving away from what kind of all the big names are trying to do right now, which is just to keep everything online. They actually value um, and want to kind of, you know, keep on rekindling this thing connected to people actually sitting in front of each other and playing games and having tournaments in person and the tournament scene there is thriving and growing. And I know a lot of like magic players and pros that I got to know throughout Gwen throughout the years have been, you know, slowly migrating to that, um, uh, to that scene and saying that they simply love it because this is kind of what they kind of understood card games as being like an offline experience where they actually get to interact with other people. And sitting across from uh, uh, an opponent that, you know, when there's something at stake, like, I think that's uh, uh, one of the main differences whether it's online or in person playing in a tournament is like there's there's consequences to losses yeah. and it, you know in ladder i get it you lose mmr but it's recoverable because there's no there's no finality to it it's not like you know in a tournament you have seven rounds of swiss or whatever or six or seven rounds of swiss then it's a cut to top eight so a loss especially a loss early is immensely detrimental there are tournaments i've played in tournaments that if you lost your first game you're out you're done you couldn't and I, you, yeah. Like, yeah, and like, I love the emotions there. The emotions. You can see the emotions in people's faces. Like playing the game, you, can, you don't see any emotions. You don't know what your opponent is doing. If Maybe they're emoting you because they're assholes and stuff like that. That's all. <laughs> but yeah. if you're in person, you, you see people 
get super excited. You see people get uh, super pissed off. You see, I've seen people cry uh, at the at the at the table. There's there's you know because they missed something or they're like holy shit and they just go up. I I've never seen anyone flip a table yet. Um, oh, I would love but, to see that. No offense, but, but I would love to see that. Like in one, not on my one table. Days. Not my table because I, I also love my cards. They're like double sleeved and everything like that. So don't ruin my cards. But actually seeing someone flip a table would be would be amazing. And I think it's it's all these things that kind of play into it, right? It's the sleeving the cards. It's actually commuting to the place, listening mm -hmm. to the mu listening to music, commuting to the place, getting to the place, signing up. And if if, if it's a, like a higher rank tournament, you actually need to submit a deck list. And then um, I think you talked about this in one of the previous ones. Uh, one of the judges might randomly come and check your deck list to see if what you submitted actually corresponds with what is in your deck. Um, I like this, like, you know, it's like, oh, nice physical experience, right? Instead of just, you know, oh, here, you know, digital client, here's my deck, yeah, let's play. I yeah. don't see my opponent. I don't know what they look like. That's look, it. I, I mean, I say that now, but I was at the air, like sitting at an airport for several hours, like over the past week and um playing like runeterra on my phone and you know like that the convenience of that is awesome but at the same time i was at the, an airport where people were on the on the floor with playmats busting out flesh and blood cards like that was also nice. this, the same time but you know like the consequence of of playing in a tournament like i that's that is also part of the appeal of it and that's also why for instance for myself i actually avoided tournaments for a long time because i didn't have the i never had the 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 sort of mental fortitude to be able to handle the anxiety and the stress of it. There is a lot of anxiety. Yeah, and it's something that you have to wade through and deal with. And recently, I mean, I have the luxury again, especially within flesh and flesh and blood, of 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 having uh, really good friends of mine who are you know national champions, who are calling champions, who are uh, pro tour players. So when I'm practicing, I'm practicing with the best in the world, and they routinely beat the crap out of me but i'm learning a lot so my game it, although it's not on their level has has sort of put me into a position where when i'm out there in the field playing against the majority i'm like wow i am i am confidently better than 90 percent of these players um the 10 percent that are better than me are like are in on another level it's crazy but like the, the 80 or 90 percent that i'm better than uh you know marginally just by a hair is by virtue of me being able to, to practice with these players, but that has essentially just s s completely snuffed out any of my anxieties of entering tournaments. Now I don't care because uh -huh. before I'd be like, well, I'm going to enter the calling tournament for 50 bucks um, and what? And then scrub out after six rounds. Like, no, like, why would I do that? Now I'm like, dude, I just, it, the team calling event, I picked up a brand new deck, Chain, which you, I think you might be familiar with these days. Picking up Chain, which yes. is one of the highest skill cap heroes that I avoided because I didn't want to learn something so difficult. I picked up that hero, put in the work, and went 6-0 and at the calling. Nice. Yeah, nice. Like, like my teammates were had some tough luck and whatever, so it, given the fact that it was a team team event, uh, mm -hmm. our record was 3-3. Three and three. My personal record was 6-0, and but again, you know, that's not the important part. The important part is the team that and how we performed. We won three matches and that was great. We even we swept one. We had a full table sweep at one point, which was great. And it was just a good time all around. But the I think a lot of people's main concerns was that my main concern from tournament versus just ladder play was the fact that, 
you know, I even had ladder anxiety, but I got over that because, again, I didn't I didn't really care about my rank. But moving into tournaments where there are actual these short term, short term, you know, pockets of time with like six rounds. It's like if you screw up, it's all over for you on a ladder. You have a month. And if you have a bad day, you can have a good day the next day to make up that ground. And man, do I like tournaments now are. I, I basically just took picked up my schedule and looked. I'm like, what can I get to? Like, where can I go? <laughs> like, I'm I'm in Ohio in two weeks. Mind you, that's for work. Nice. But I'm going to an Ohio in two weeks to do a, a major tournament. But they're they like the tournament is Saturday Sunday, but they have an event on the Friday. And I'm like, I'm coming in a day early because I want to play in your mini event. Like, they're like, yeah, nice. by all means, come on in. You know, so t- super stoked and super thrilled for tournaments. Like tournaments now for me are all not it's all I care about. But it's 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 like the major barometer of where I am skill wise, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I like to have a little bit of an idea of where I, I kind of rank within the whole the whole field. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, like I said, like I also mentioned before, like Flesh and Blood really puts it back to the tournament scene and back to the kitchen table or back to, you know, your local game store. And I've also seen, like, based off of what's happening in, 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 you know, Warsaw, there's more stores picking up Flesh and Blood and creating tournaments around it. There's more and more people coming to these. So I feel like it's become, it's it's really, really, you can see it growing. And I think it's in this, it's in this phase where it's developing very, very quickly right now. There's more and more cards. Uh, I saw some cards which are already, like, crazy priced and stuff like that, which is which is amazing. And yeah, I actually got to play the game for the first time uh, yeah, last week. Boy. Last week, yeah. We so played I, some, some Blitz decks, uh, the Hero decks. Uh, yeah, I, I heard your evaluation, and your evaluation of the game was my evaluation of the game when I started. So, uh-huh. the, um, when you know, it's... The thing about it is that when, you, when you're picking up the game and you're playing with basic equipment that just blocks damage... Uh, that doesn't yeah. have any abilities when you're not playing it with any of the the funner, more you know, exclusive cards. Like you're not playing with many majestic cards or whatever. And I'm not saying that the majestic cards are like super expensive and they're like crazy and you need them, but um, some of them are really good. Like some of them are like no brainers. I would put that in my deck. Like oh, based I, off of like me playing it once and yeah. winning with uh, with uh, not the best deck because I was playing. I think this is like not one of the best like you know hero decks. It was old time, and Oldham. I can tell you he he, he old he yeah. old. <laughs> Oldham is a uh, Oldham is the control. Yeah, Oldham's a control character, and uh, in Blitz he was very popular because you can get you stretch. Typically, like you know, defense reactions have a lot more value than attacks in terms of yes. cost for whatever. So. If, but he has like good, good like hits for like ten points, eight oh, points in some of yeah. the cards. Coming in with like to, a ten point yeah. glacial footsteps and just like yeah, smashing yeah, yeah. your opponent. Oh yeah, yeah. nasty stuff. Definitely yeah, nasty that's, stuff. That's that's what got me to win. Like I was I was slowly like burning down my opponent. I was doing a lot of blocking, but when when the blocks came through and I had actually the resources, I had the cards to kind of sack in order to play one of you know these high damage ones. My opponent, he had to use at least like two to three cards to block that damage, which kind of screwed him up later. Yeah. And I was able to draw into stuff. And I I love the aspect of sacking cards and in order to play cards. What kind of is uh, something that we all kind of agreed on was very, very interesting and weird for me is the fact that you have cards which have the same name, have the same ability, the same art, but they deal different different amounts of damage, yeah. and they also give you different types of resources. Yeah, that's and I was uh, like, 
why, like, how do you structure a deck here when you're actually constructing something from scratch? Bear in mind that we were playing something that is, you know, pre-constructed. So for us, it was like a different experience. Yeah, like I can get so into can you all explain the... that. <laughs> oh, so the the I can I can kind of uh, dig into that a little bit. So for those who don't know, um, any of the common and rares, uh, many of them in Flesh and Blood have uh, what's called like so they're like cycles. Um, mm -hmm. So there's red, blue, and yellow. Um, red. I, I treat this as mana, like yeah. cards that can generate you mana when you sack them. Yeah, but that's how I that's how I learned it. Exactly. So there's the reds typically have the most beneficial game text. However, they pitch for the least amount of mana. The blues pitch for the most amount of mana, but they're typically less. They're they're curved down in terms of power level. It's about mm -hmm. finding the right um the right balance for what you need and not to mention certain heroes have benefits based on the color of pitch that you're throwing out there for instance prism um prism has a weapon luminaris that says if you pitch a yellow card your attacks have go again so typically you'll load up your deck with uh that with yellow pitch cards in order to sustain a more consistent attack um mm -hmm. you know right now the new hero phi has a lot of red pitch synergy. So those decks are immensely red red top loaded. However, if you're red top loaded, that means that a one card that you pitch only pitches for one mana. So what happens okay. if an ice hero gives you a frostbite and now and a frostbite token basically makes your next I action Yeah, makes your next action cost one more. So now those you're like awesome. Yeah, so you're like okay, I have all these supercharged cards that I need to attack that I can attack with cuz they're all red, but I need to pitch an extra card to play it, which means that you're you're now that card you're pitching you can't play. So it's a fine tuned balance that um the and the cycle for cards does not affect the more expensive cards. Um, and this was something that I remember talking with James to James White about, and he's like, it was an epiphany. He's like, when I was the story he told about this, he told the story to me on my podcast, which was great, mm -hmm. uh, and he said that it was New Year's Eve in New Zealand. He was in his, he was, as he was designing the game and he, it just came to him like in a, like a eureka moment when he was trying I to figure out the, <laughs> yeah, he's like, he told me, he's like, it was like midnight. Everybody was celebrating and that like, as like the fireworks going, were going on and everybody was in the street outside of his like uh, office window, everybody was going crazy. He had that eureka moment of like, kaboom, I, if I create <laughs> cycles for this, it plugs the holes because now a hero that needs red versus the hero that needs blue can play the same card. And it's like, you know, so now I get it. Yeah. So now I get it. And it was, uh, and it, it does to a degree dilute the card pool, but at the same time, it allows for more heroes to have better utilization of the yep. same, uh, the same sort of uh, ability of a card. And that's, that's, yep. I can, I can, I mean, he can obviously describe it a lot better than I can. If you want, um, ladies and gentlemen, if you're interested, there's a, if you go to Instant Speed Podcast, uh, in the episode that released at the end of, uh, beginning of February, I believe, of this year, I had an interview with James White. James White's the creator of Flesh and Blood. So we had like an hour and a half long discussion who, he's like an awesome guy. I actually am interviewing him again tonight for another episode. Nice. Yeah. So we're going to have another follow up, but. You also did a panel in Vegas, right? With I did him, a panel, yeah. Second, yeah. At the, I saw, I saw, I saw tweets. Yeah, he's a he's a good dude. It was uh, it was funny because afterwards, like him and I are buddies, like we're friends now, and it's great. And uh, he's got his thing. Like I, I obviously, it's not like we're like texting 
back and forth or message it. It's not like you and I. You and I like will message like every other day and like we'll just see how what's going on and like you know. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but I remember he was telling me he's like he comes up to me after uh after the pro tour in New Jersey. He's like, hey man. He's like, I'm I'm so grateful that you're here because you take off a lot of the pressure that I get. Like when people are asking him questions or like whatever. If someone asks him a question that I know he either can't answer or or shouldn't answer. I usually interject and reward the question nice. to something that he nice. can answer. Yeah, so uh, I I kind of like act as a buffer live for him. Live moderation. That's that's the best thing. I love live moderation. I love doing it, especially when uh, whenever you have like a PR thing and there's journalists coming in mm -hmm. and they're asking questions to developers and you're there on the PR side and be like, well, wait, wait, we yeah. need to reward that question. Yeah, it's like, well, what he means to say is, yeah, yes. Yeah, and then shut the mic off. Yeah, for that person. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> yeah, it's like we're done. We're done. We'll edit that out. Um, but yeah. Um, so like the the just the in, in in terms of like the tournament scene there, um, it was it, it was incredible. And what I love about it nice. is what you say is is exactly what you said is the fact that there's you get that community feel. And um, this isn't a knock on other communities, but the flesh and blood community has been nothing but supportive, positive. Um, wins and losses like I have played against salty players but nowhere to the same degree or or kind of poignancy that I have against in against in magic let's say uh, where you mm -hmm. beat somebody and it's like the end of the world for them um, I am so any of that edge or worry that I've ever had about entering a, a face like a, an in-person tournament has melted away based off of my recent experiences of going playing for high stakes and win or lose coming out of there saying holy holy shit that was that was amazing i cannot wait to just see who my next opponent is and square off against them and yeah. like i don't know how much of that is just the people who are nice to me because of who i am within the community and i was on a <laughs> like i was on a team with like doa who's like a legend in in yeah. like people were coming up to him like holy hell are you doa and they're like are you flake like like, yeah, like that's like that's us. Let's play some games. Like, you know, like let's have fun. And it was awesome. And I and like people were just they weren't taking us, you know, they weren't being nice to us. They were like, they were they want to win like everyone else. Yeah. But but at the end of the day, win or lose, what I found was, you know, they that when I like when I won, you know, like I won all my games. And this isn't a, this isn't a brag, but you know, seeing my my teammates lose in certain regards in certain situations how gracious they were and, and when they lost of saying hey like you that was really awesome like that was great like you yeah. know way to go and when i beat my opponent my opponent who comes up to me and says like wow you like you really you really like pulled that one out of nowhere like i did, had no clue and i was playing chain which a lot of people didn't think even had a was on the radar for blitz decks because it was such a mm -hmm. it, it was um like a con classic constructed like it, it just reached living legend status as being like mm -hmm. a and they're like you're playing it in blitz like wow that's that's awesome like usually you know usually the something like that needs a lot of a lot of time to be like a, a deck like chain typically needs like three or four turns in order before it starts to really get powerful yeah. and um the whole experience was was one that really roped me in and when i was at the airport playing like legends of runeterra on ladder i i was like like i was it was like playing against the computer i knew that there was another body there's another soul at the end of the, at the other side of the internet playing against me but when you don't have 
the reaction when there's no stakes when there's nothing uh, you know really on the line and you can't read your opponent you can't you can't yep. shake their hand ask them their name and ask them what hero they're playing and then it goes all it all goes from there and the jokes and the laughs and whatever it was it was that's that to me now is the pinnacle of the experience for me yeah it's really cool that you mentioned chain here because chain was one of the decks that i didn't get to play but the one that after i played my first match i was like this is the one i'm gonna probably like try out next oh, um because oh, i really i really like the aspect of arcane damage and it was something new for me because mm -hmm. i i when i was playing it was pretty much when you go to combat you 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 like i didn't say i didn't see anything that was dealing arcane damage it was more of the you know i i smack you for three can you block this no you can't block this so it goes through um but yeah i was uh, and also the art uh of the cards that are in that deck are just incredible it reminds me of anything that is uh pretty much you know black and, and mtg right so yeah. it has that feeling to it chain uh chain plays a lot kind of like golgari like uh, black yeah. green and um because the beauty of chain is that chain is kind of like think of it this way it's like you know those scenes in the movie where there's two two race cars but there's oh there's a brick wall and only space for one and they're yeah. both throttling up because they only one's gonna get only through, one can pass through yeah. and the other's gonna hit the wall and explode that's chain chain is constant acceleration but you need to cross the finish line first because if you stumble or if you do not you're gonna hit the wall you, you are typically in chain decks typically you die to your own effects as much as your opponent kills you yeah. um so chain Sounds is like black and magic you're you're pretty much losing life for doing stuff and, yeah uh, yeah yeah, yeah. you like chain you're banishing cards off the top and you and, the, and every turn you're creating a soul shackle to banish an extra card off the top which and then of those cards off the top that you're banishing certain ones of them you're able to play out of your banish zone for magic players that's like the equivalent of exile and yes. you're you're able to play it out of your banish zone so chain is like okay on it's like the fifth turn I'm banishing five off the top. So mm -hmm. now I have my four card hand, plus I have access to let's say three of those five cards so I would be able to play out of my great out of my banish zone. So I have an eight card hand or a seven card hand. That is a massive advantage yeah. that you're having. But if you can't play those cards, you take a damage per card you can't play. So it's like it's a it's a matter of like, okay, do I save these cards for a more explosive turn and take three damage, but maybe I die? Like what happens here, there, whatever? Um it's it's I, I would love to teach you chain and I'm by no means an expert because I just picked it up uh, like yeah. a week ago, but I played against it easily like 50 times in uh, prior to that in CCN Blitz and yeah. he's a nasty boy. What I'm going to play for sure is uh, Fi, what you recommended, and Briar. Like, those are ones that I already ordered. So <laughs> I'm just waiting for them to, to come in. So Briar, <laughs> uh, Briar, if you like arcane damage, Briar is a great, great hero yeah. for arcane damage because the weapon she uses is called Rosetta Thorn. And Rosetta Thorn is is a token. Like, it's a it's a, it's a, a card you get for free in any yeah. in any format. But it is probably the most powerful weapon in the game, which is wow. ridiculous. It is absurd. It's a cost one swing for two physical, two arcane, which is incredibly difficult and, and awkward to block. And the criteria to get that bonus off the attack is very simple. It, it plays to what Briar wants to do anyways. That's why I recommended it, because it's, it's, high, it's high tempo, high power level, and Good. just excellent. It's just, it's, 
it's the first deck. Briar's the first deck I played to win, uh, like a, a mid stakes tournament. Like I won my first. I won a one thousand dollar tournament playing Briar, going nice. nine and zero. Like it was obscene. Like when nobody had Briar as as relevant, I uh uh. uh the U.S. national champion gave me his list that he was working on, and he's mm-hmm. like, "Okay, you can you can use it on this on this date. Test it out. Yeah. So take it for a test drive. <laughs> basically, so the same weekend, um, the U.K. national champion played it. Went, I think he went a twelve and zero. I yep. went nine and zero, and then the next uh, the next week, the U.S. champion brought it to the U.S. nationals and won the U.S. nationals with it. So we had this like seven day span of just absolutely throttling everyone with this deck and then everyone figured it out and then and everyone played it that's what normally happens like you bring it it becomes known people you know take it apart and they kind of know how 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 the missionary inside works and then you're kind of like oh man i gotta adjust my strategy but yeah i played it for the first time i really appreciate the design behind it it's something fresh it's something new uh i love that there's no mana screw um in this game although sometimes you run into situations that are kind of uh, awkward uh i appreciate that you have like the armor on your hero plus the weapons i didn't know 100 percent how to use the arsenal and when to use the arsenal but yeah. i think we can also do like a separate uh, episode on me trying fab for the first time <laughs> and giving my opinion yeah because i need to play a little bit more games to kind of get more into it and uh, the best thing, this also comes to playing tr- in tournaments and playing in, uh, you know, playing physical, was that we had a big glued pieces of paper that were turned into a playmat, courtesy of Ryan. He made them with like, <laughs> all the, this is combat chain, this is head, chest, arms, weapon hero, weapon arsenal, you know, graveyard yeah. pitch, deck, banish pile, everything was there. So it was it was really fun. And I and, and that's really cool. Like, you know, this is this is what I love in, in the physical card games, right? Doing well, all this cool stuff. Well that's it. And like again, it's part of the flesh and blood. Like you have to be there with somebody to play against. Yeah. And then this is this is exactly what happens. Like your your buddy, your teammate Ryan comes in and hooks you up with like these like funny playmats. You guys play together. That picture you sent me melted my heart. Like it was the absolute yeah. I showed everybody when I got that, all my buddies, like all these players that were there, I was like, I'm like, check this out. Like these are these are like this is my Gwent family who are trying flesh yeah. and blood, and it really makes me happy that they'll that they'll not, they're not playing it just to like appease me or whatever. Like they they hear me talk about it, they're interested in it, and like they're card game players. Like you know, Vlad is a magic is a magic player. Yeah. You're a magic player. You know, yeah. you're all Gwent players, and here you are trying this and. It was that. really cool because we had the Gwent designers with us and we were taking apart the game. And even when we finished playing, we we just kept on talking about it. Like, what do you think about this? Like, how? what, what do you think is? I was like, oh, I see what they did here. I see what they did there. Like, this makes a lot of sense. This is very unique. This is really cool. And also, like, we were talking about all the different decks because everyone played something different. So, like, what do you think about this one? Well, I think about, like, I would change this. Maybe this this makes a lot of sense. And... You know, we're we're like some of us, uh, some of the guys were playing it for the second time because they met on Thursday. I couldn't make it on Thursday, but I was with them on Friday. Um, so I already had, you know, prior their experience. So they got to like teach me uh, how everything works. And then we were kind of discussing, oh, I played that yesterday, but I played this today and this this I like better. You should check this out. And it's like, this is this is also the cool aspect of, 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 of in-person stuff, right? That you have um where you get to discuss all these things right and kind of theory craft stuff and um you also yeah. get this in local places that you go like 
I love discussions whenever I go local game store, like we're playing a tournament, we finish our, our round, let's say, and then we talk about a specific card or someone has like a tech card in their in their deck or like, why, why are you using this? Oh, I'm using this for X and Y because I feel it's synergized with this and it works that way and then counters this and a lot of players bring, you know, this card here or this deck here and like, oh, wow, this, yeah, this makes sense. And yeah, you get, all to, you get into these, like all these discussions, which are also really, really cool. And I love that. Yeah, and sideboarding in this game in the game is is ultra important too. Like I think that sideboarding is uh, one of those skills that like you need you need to spend you know a solid weekend when you when you're yeah. preparing for a tournament. Probably like in Magic, right? Oh, how absolutely. Many cards, how many how many cards do you get to like sideboard in? So uh, do you have a limit? Uh, there's uh yeah, there's a limit. So basically, any deck is eighty cards plus hero. Of uh-huh. those eighty cards. You get, you need a minimum six. You'll have to when you when you get into a game, you need a sixty card deck minimum. You can go over yeah. that, uh, but if you go over that, obviously there's consistency issues and like you know, uh-huh. same thing of like playing like a same thing of playing a forty card Gwent deck. Like you can play a forty card yeah. Gwent deck if it fits the provisions, but like you're not getting the cards you want consistently, right? Um, exactly. So the the sideboard works is basically when you when you square off against somebody of those eighty cards. Uh, you obviously you could play without a weapon. You could play without equipment if you want. Obviously, that's the stupidest thing you'll ever do. But um, <laughs> you can have as many equipments in the sideboard as you want, as long as you show up with the sixty card deck. You know, okay. so a lot of a, a lot of sideboard strategy is making sure that you have the right equipment to play against the right hero. So when you're playing against somebody, the way that it works is you sit down next to them. And you both reveal only your heroes. Mm-hmm. Once you de- uh, once you show each other your hero, you decide who goes first, or you figure out how who goes first, and then you do your sideboarding. And mm-hmm. your sideboarding is like, okay, uh, they're playing Briar, uh, so I'm going to need some Arcane Barrier. So these boots that I wear that are armor based, I'm going to trade those to Null Rune boots, which allow me to block Arcane damage. So I'm okay. going to put that in, and then do that, and then are you you. you- Sorry to cut you off. You already sideboard at the moment when you're playing your first match and when your opponent shows you his or her hero. Yeah. So in this case? yeah, you show okay. heroes, you decide the turn order, and then you're allowed to fix your deck. So, okay, then it's different than magic, because the magic you need to play like the first round and then you go to sideboard and from, from that point yeah, there's, on there's you no take main card. deck. There's no so main there, deck. Okay. Because okay. there's, there's no best of three. It's just one game. Mm-hmm. So you're, oh, yeah, true. Yeah, you, you square off against them. And that's where a lot of the important things are. Because like in certain matchups, you know, you look at your sideboard, you're like, why the hell are you playing this? I'm like, I'm playing this to beat this. like Because if I draw it, this is a huge advantage against this one hero, which is kind of how it goes. So like, how much is one card or, or like three, three sideboard slots worth to you to beat one hero that you might see once in a tournament? And the answer is exceptionally important because if if it gives you a five percent edge on your opponent, that's as good as a win in many in many that's cases. A lot. Yeah, five percent is a lot. Like there's a card called Expose the Elements, mm-hmm. which uh, what it does is that you basically you 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 play it and you fuse it with either Earth or Ice. So when you play it, you need to have an Earth or Ice card or both in your hand. And based mm-hmm. on what you fuse it with, you either destroy a piece of their equipment or give it a minus one uh, defense counter. And yep. in against like uh, Oldham or against uh, Bravo, who has the shield, if mm-hmm. you give that shield a minus one defense counter, it can never block. 
So they, yeah. they're they ultimately just never screwed. getting any value out of it. Yeah, so yeah, they are absolutely screwed. So in that regard, playing and expose the elements is and and having it connect is as good as a win against them because that, like, if you just take out their defense capabilities, you're like, holy shit, like, Every turn that they're, they're open. Yeah, every turn that they're potentially blocking one or two, suddenly you're like every turn it's like it's like they're lose they're 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 losing one or two life because they're not blocking it, right? So these are this is how that that works and that's why tournaments and sideboards and whatever like whenever um there's a major tournament, there's usually an entire day or two that are like just dedicated to sideboard strategy, you know, of like mm -hmm. let's just sit down the amount of spreadsheets I've seen in my life of like, oh, dude, of course, holy Moses, it's a, it's when I was getting into the whole competitive thing and just you know dipping my toe into it, being part of like these Discord calls with PowerPoint presentations and spreadsheets of whatever, and I'm like, dear lord, I'm like, this is this is what I'm missing against, I, I guess, and but but then these players win tournaments, you know? Yeah. So yeah, they they do the math, they do the math, and I I think it's I mean it's. It's very important to gather as much information as you can uh, for Magic. Like we also have from from like whenever our tournaments happening online, uh, when you look to statistics on decks and what cards people are playing, and then then you like go for percentages of a card that is being played, and then based on these percentages, you kind of think if you want these cards, you know, to make it to your to your own deck, and like without this, like. How are you going to progress the game? How are you going to make something new, different, cutting edge in order to, you know, to get to W, right? You you might be the best player, but this is this is like the the, the fine tuning. That's like, you know, going in under the hood and checking like, okay, let's let's swap this out. This has, sees more play rate. This 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 one has a little bit more win rate. For sure we should have this in this deck and and, and stuff like that. So, yeah. No, really I, really cool. I agree. I even uh I even came out like I, it's it's obviously different with like uh, with Gwent, but I thought that Gwent having a, a sideboard was I came up with like a, I devised sort of like a, a plan to see how uh, a sideboard strategy could work with Gwent. Like I always thought that if you play it like if it, it's harder because there's classes involved, right? So, yeah. um, but I thought that if you had like a, a twenty provision sideboard, you know, like okay, you 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 have your deck, it's like a best of a uh, best of three, and you have a 20 provision sideboard. So whatever you want to put in there, you want to put bronze cards, you want to put like more gold cards in there. But I thought that that was always a, a fascinating option for a potential future format for ladder. I don't think it's a tournament system yeah. necessarily, but like if you go in there and it's a best of three situation where you can then sideboard in and out cards based on matchups, because certain matchups might feel like, uh, you know, like they're like, 80 20 or something something like that but if you're if your sideboard makes that a, a little bit more 50 50 then that that's possible again but i don't think that's i don't think it's it's it was just like sort of a, a brain exercise where i was just kind of yeah. figuring out how to do it but it would kind of make sense if you know if it wasn't played again like around like three rounds then in maybe well even if it is played in the three rounds you would need to probably sideboard before not after like a match uh, for me sideboarding i always associated with magic and magic is always like you have your main deck and then you have your sideboard your sideboard after the first round um but you play you know best of three and then tournament formats and yeah i i i mean sideboarding is so important in magic it's so important 
and you know it can be your win or your loss and sometimes the people the the the, the cards that people like bring to their sideboards that take tech against you is just like oh i wish they haven't had this card yeah. on their sideboard because it just like it just stops my game plan or it just you know f- f- totally like f's me up like blood moon for example is oh one man of those cards that, yep. that ch- changes your you know non-basic lands to mountains you're, you're screwed or you have like these player can get can gain life or player cannot be targeted by you know pretty much you're you're you get hexproof as a, as a as a player so it's like oh my god no don't do this to me like there's so many of these like grace graveyard hate if someone is playing based off of their graveyard there's so many like different tech options that they can use that uh yeah it's T- crazy Takatli honor guard do you know what that card does no Takatli honor guard ixalan this mofo showed up in a sideboard against me once when i was playing um uh is it the one that has protection from something no no so I've, i'm what are the what's the, what's blue oh my god blue green black i like i basically spent the weekend with like former magic pros as well and like they were talking about all these decks and like i felt like a doofus yeah. because i'm like what's blue green red uh blue not nah, blue green black what is that i forgot what the color scheme is for that um uh gosh i'm just gonna search it because it's gonna bother me but Takatli honor guard is a white creature it's a one three from ixalan drops for two and it says that um it yeah, says creatures entering the battle ga- a battlefield don't cause abilities to trigger i at the time uh let me just see blue green black magic what is it called it is called uh sultai there we go i can't believe i was playing sultai and in that sultai deck um when i was like playing standard i had ravenous chupacabras and a whole bunch of other stuff that have effect yeah have effects when they enter the battlefield and at one point this mofo in game two, because I throttled him in game one, comes out and just busts out these Takatli Honor Guards as two drops. And I was like, No oh. ability triggers for you. Basically, I was like, <laughs> I'm looking at this, and you, you you do the whole thing where like they play it, and you're just like, You're like, Does the, What? And I'm like, What? Yeah. The? You know, you Is do this one of even those. Legal? And I'm like, <laughs> Okay. I'm like, This was in my like Penny Rares like you know long box yeah. like what is this and the dude i guess he like it felt like he like he he must have had like two or three of them in the sideboard but it felt like he had 800 because the, the next two games on turn two boom to call honor guard and i'm like i mm. need to I, and like my turn one is like greenland lanwar elf feel great about life Next turn was like drop a you know drop something a three drop or whatever or play like a removal spell and then this mofo comes out and I'm like I can't kill you with my Lanwar Elf I can't do anything my Ravenous Chupacabra can't get you so now I gotta wait till turn six to drop my Carnage Tyrant before I'm even relevant like the hell am I gonna do here but that was basically yeah. how it went um love it love it so love it love in, it and MTG you also have this card called these ley lines uh, so there's ley line of the void and there's ley line of sanctity which are the ones that I always remember mm-hmm. and it's interesting the ley lines when you always sideboard them and when you have at least one of these in your hand you can begin begin the game with this enchantment already on the board and yeah the of the void is simple whenever a card is put into your opponent's graveyard it get exiled instantly so it pretty much any deck that plays from the graveyard or uses graveyard synergies done pretty much game plan you know all over the place but sanctity is the one that i always hate because i love playing a deck that 
causes my opponent to discard cards. But Sanctity gives your opponent, uh, gives uh, like opponents hexproof against anything that is targeting him or her. Mm -hmm. So you can't be target of spells or, or abilities. So if you're playing burn, if you're playing discard, mill, whatever, it's it's hexproof. Your your game plan is pretty much okay. Now I need to uh, I'm screwed, and mm -hmm. I need to sideboard in stuff that will kind of make me somehow win in an obscure way, right? Yeah, like cheap enchantment removal at that point. Yeah, uh, yeah. Those ley lines. It's like having uh. There was sort of like the budget ley line, which was um, uh. It's that angel, the four drop angel. Uh, I forgot what it was, but it gives it gives your other creatures and you hexproof. Which yeah. is which is I amazing. The, the card I don't remember the name. I but forgot yeah, the name. That's really good. It's an excellent card. I used it as a commander before uh, I I switched to Tristani. Like I have a, a Celestia Angels commander list, which I adore. I love it so much, and I have to give a lot of credit to uh, Alias V who helped me um, just complete it. Like I built it, and then she's like, "Hey, every time I visit her, she's like, hey." And she just gave me a stack of like 10 cards that are all like That's angel so related. Amazing. Yeah, she's That's what the... I love about Commander. That's what I love about Commander. One copy of each card, 100 cards in your decks, and people share cards in that format like crazy because it is a format that evolved from the kitchen table that was later, um, you know, Magic like looked into it and said, like, oh, you know, this is something that, that, that we're going to actually have like a sanctioned thing. And I also feel like now they're going to make like specific. Um, you know, uh, sets just for commander, mm -hmm. which is um, making some people happy, some people unhappy. Yeah. Because they, kind of, they, they did this with modern. Like modern was a format which didn't have a lot of cards rotating in and out of it. Mm -hmm. And they started printing modern horizons and modern horizons one and two kind of changed the spectrum of the whole thing because they're printing cards specifically for modern. Instead, their main focus before that was standard and there were cards that would fit into modern and would work, but there was like much less of them coming in. And with Horizons, it's one of the more premier sets and it costs a lot more money. And then there are new cards that are very power crept. I know power creep is favorite word always. <laughs> and people are buying these cards, they're buying these packs and they're, you know, creating more money out of, out of that. So what we were trying to kind of have a, you know, more reprints and more of a, like a, you know, nice level playing field with Modern Horizons, it just turned everything upside down. And I feel like they're trying to do that to Commander right now. And people already that played Modern or saw what was happening in Modern are like, oh, no, 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 we do not want this happening to us. So it's a, it's an interesting dynamic. And yeah, that's what I just, just to go back, this is what I love about Commander and just sharing cards between one another because, oh, I know you play this deck. Like, uh, I won't use these, but check these out because they'll totally fit to like this Commander that you're playing. That's how Alias V and I actually started a lot of our, our, our foray into Magic a little bit more seriously was we'd, we'd basically say, okay, like she was into like vampires and stuff. She knew I was into dinosaurs. So when we would open boxes... Like we'd go to the, the LGS when a new set would come out and we would kind of be talking weeks ahead of saying like what we wanted to try and whatever. And we'd be there and I'd be like, I'd open like a, a $30 card and I'd just be like, yep, yeah, that's that's for you. Like you want to play this? That's no. for you. She opened a Carnage Tyrant, which at the time was like 50 bucks. She's like, hey, Flake, Dino. And she's like, boom, right? Like no questions, no nothing. Like that's just that's just like... There was never a tally, right? There was never like a bill at the end of the day of like, well, you owe me this and I owe you this and whatever. It was just like, yeah. does this make you happy? Does this complete your deck? Does this 
full like flesh out your experience then it's it, that's kind of how it worked and i love her to death i love her husband to death like we're, we're like they're like family to me and uh it's just funny you should mention about like the whole modern versus commander and where the shift is because like after spending a weekend with a lot of magic pros a lot of them were just saying you know how the the entire sort of strategy has shifted to um to to focusing on commander because that's what everybody cares the most about and that's what everybody's playing right now to be honest and it's so much fun it is, it is. so much fun like I don't know when the next time is that I'm going to see you, but uh, it's like I need to check a bag in the aircraft because I so first of all, when I was there, I was collecting a lot of bulk from people mm -hmm. that weren't because I'm like all the cards are like, oh, I have this a million times. So I would just I literally filled up my bag with all this common bulk rares and whatever, because I'm like, well, when I go to Poland, I need to give these to my friends. So I have like I have like honestly, like I could probably fill this gigantic box with like um with with bulk that i'm gonna uh, that i'm gonna uh, bring to you guys if ever i'm i'm back in warsaw nice. but because again it's just about it's about helping people out and making sure that yeah. you know so that's hey. the best part that's the best part. i also love um whenever i order cards online like singles and someone always like drops in a couple you know normally bonus. they're just commas and stuff like that but some bonus cards it's so good yeah it's so good and there i i very recently I was ordering some stuff because uh, I was building uh, like a Zorius control deck and I was ordering some cards and I ordered from like this new person that I found like, like on one of these like eBay-ish deals and I ordered a couple of things and I got the, you know, I got the package and I'm, I, I take it from like, I'm like, wow, this is kind of, kind of bulky. And I looked inside and there was a letter. Saying like, oh, I, I, I know you. Thank you for doing everything that you've been doing for, you know, at CDPR. I love your work. And it was it's very amazing to get this. And there was like two boosters. Uh, oh, nice. Just, 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 just as a, you know, as a thank you. And it was so like, it melted my heart. And it was so good. And yeah, these, these are the, the small things, the small things that, that you get in the in-person uh, events, but also in the in-person kind of interactions that, that I think we just enjoy. And uh, yeah, like once again, I said it before, I said it again, I really like that flesh and blood is, you know, bringing people back to flesh and blood and uh, doing stuff in person, because this is, this is kind of, I feel like it's, it's also something that we need right now especially after the pandemic where we've been kind of homebound we're playing a lot of online games it's good to go out meet with people talk play cards and uh i also sometimes know there are like people in groups that play commander and, and like bars which are card game friendly so you go to a bar you get a couple drinks you slam a couple cards uh you you can always have people over also come to your house play some games it's like ah oh, it's the, the you know the experience of actually in person stuff is just amazing it's incredible it's incredible uh, all right uh let's uh let's pump the brakes a little bit on the topics here cuz we got a we got a pretty oh. hefty mailbag we got to get to my friends so uh stay tuned cuz the mailbag is coming up next Welcome to the mailbag or the Q&A where we answer your questions coming in through Reddit and Twitter. And we'll start off by a question from Andy Ursina. Andy, hello. Thank you for the question as always. Quick one. 
you got a free evening and want to play some Gwent. And here comes a big question. What is the best snack to have while you're playing Gwent? Except leaks, of course. Oh, right. Well, you're on your computer. It's the same thing like playing Xbox or PlayStation or any kind of game. You got you to gotta avoid the Doritos or anything that gets your hands all greased up, right? Like, you can't go there with, like, a rotisserie chicken and stuff like that and just, like, you know, a turkey leg. You can't do that. <laughs> You cannot yeah. do that. Um, you it's, need it's, it's it's different when you're. I feel like when it's PC gaming, I don't like to have food around. But it's if if it's like playing on a couch, PS4, Xbox, PS5, you know, Nintendo Switch, all those things, and you have a controller. Controller can get a little bit dirty, but your mouse, your keyboard, peripherals here, no. Yeah. No. It, like your your joystick or whatever, like the, the the thumbsticks on the on your controller. Part of the reason why they're always so they they glide so easily is because they're naturally greased by like Cheeto yes, dust oil. and stuff like that. Oil <laughs> Cheeto dust and oil keeps those in in uh, in high regard. I am a big fan of M and M's, and the reason why is because they they don't they're not greasy. They're not nothing. You can just go bam nail it, you know, and then have it. There's there's nothing on your hands. There's no grease. There's nothing because they're they're coated in this like shield of of candy goodness um but i mean if i if it was like like i don't know what else like i would love to you know i guess it's just like a coffee and m&ms i think to me is just the ultimate move because you get like the sugar high you get the caffeine rush you're in there you're doing your thing you're playing halo you get a double kill with a sticky grenade you're teabagging your opponent and just bam (laughs) like as you're teabagging from the teabagging everything's great just one hand is jamming the C button to crouch on them. The other hand is just popping like M&Ms in your head. You're like, yeah, suck it. You know, like that's kind of the move right there. Interesting. <laughs> we learned something new about Flake today. <laughs> what? And I'm like a teabag fiend? Dude, that's how teabag I got fiend. into this. I've met some of my best friends in the entire world playing Halo 3 like 12 years ago. Of, the, of that original crew of like six or eight of us that we all met online, yeah. I have been in their wedding party for four of them i've been in their wedding party like i've been up there at their weddings for four people that i've met on the internet who are now like my brothers so um, gaming connects people it does i have actually two i have two one Mm. is just coffee and cake because cake you can eat with like a small fork or like a spoon so coffee and cake totally fine porchki are out of the question because they have glaze on top and stuff like that so that doesn't work but what I also kind of gravitate to is Haribo. So any type of like jelly type of things that you just, you know, you throw a couple in your mouth and you can nom, 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 munch on them. So any any stuff like that works for me. That's a smart move too. Again, the Haribos yeah. don't really, any gummy bear doesn't really leave the residual yes. effect. So that's pretty good. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Rog Bros, do you prefer, I first of all, I love this question. This was probably one of my favorite questions. It's so simple. It's relevant to the subject matter, but there's so much to it. Do you yeah. prefer high-scoring games or low-scoring games? This is from Rog Bros. This is one of my favorite questions ever. I love this question. Hmm. I, I prefer, like, to me, the best Gwent games I think that I ever play are usually both players' scores are under 25. Okay. I think that could be... And the reason for that is typically because it's either... It indicates one of two, like typically two things. Either round three is very short, which means that round one or two 
were like real greasy and real balls to the walls. Balls to the walls. <laughs> or there was a lot of interaction on both sides. There was a yeah. lot of I'm removing this, I'm doing this. And it wasn't it's not like it's complete control where both like the, the final score is like four to two or something like that. There it was a little bit of it was a nice mix. So when both players like a game that ends like you know, twenty three to nineteen, I'm like, yeah, that feels good. Like those those are those are the ones where things were going down, there was interaction, there was a little bit of disruption, there was a little bit of, you know, point you know, points being generated. Those to me are my favorite. Now I don't know where on the spectrum uh, 25 or less points is. Is that a low-scoring game these days? Because back in the day, a long time ago, you know, uh, when Homecoming just rolled around, 25 points was like, 25 points was like four cards, you know, there was, once upon a time. So um, I guess that these days, that tw- like 25 or less is considered a low-scoring a low-scoring round. Probably. Probably since you can go up to 100, over 100 even, in some of the games very easily. So especially with all the swarm archetypes and, and stuff like that, like fire sworn, like I don't know, uh, dwarves, which which generate a lot of buffs and points. Um, elves, when you play a shitload of waylays and stuff like that, those those for sure. Um, for me, it depends on the mood. Um, I like low scoring because I feel like 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 you said, it's kind of down down to the wire, or it's a very controlly type of uh, matchup. Um, and either yeah, either you go crazy round one or round two or round two you're bleeding like crazy, and then round three it's just you know uh, on the edge. Can I get enough points? Can I squeeze as many points out of these cards that I have left? Or um, also you know if if you're you're bled out on round two, you sometimes lose some of the key pieces and you're not able to like get engines going and stuff like that. Then maybe it doesn't feel as good. Um, but yeah, I think low scoring is, is just, it's just more fun. And if, if you, if you also, if you like play a lot of removal or Maddox or decks and stuff like that, then yeah, um, those are fun. And I feel like more to my, to my taste these days, instead of just jamming a million of points and buffing everything, because I'm also always afer- afraid of, you know, Erden coming in and pretty much resetting everything. So maybe buffing <laughs> is not the not the best thing to, to, to go. But I I don't know. I love Firesworn. I don't know. I recently just like a lot of Firesworn strategies and stuff like that. So call call back it's to mix. Call back to the previous segment about sideboards. Erden to me is the ultimate sideboard card. Yes, of course it is. Ultimate side. <laughs> uh like you want to talk about sideboard squirrel. cards? Squirrel Squirrel is MVP sideboard card. Low, yeah. low, low cost, high impact, uh, but very niche. Irden, lacerate. Those are lacerate. Yeah. Those are or surrender. The, I saw a lot of tournaments where surrender. Surrender, like, but I think yeah, surrender or lacerate. Um, and uh, spores. Like these are the absolute one hundred percent. And I guess some certain locks and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. side, like those are the those are the MVP sideboard cards. Um, that's why you see them in tournaments and in most mm-hmm. of the decks. Yeah, because but they, they're very impactful. But there's and that's the thing, right? Because without a sideboard, you have to have a main board. So when you see decks that have like spores or stuff, such or like lacerate in them, it's because the player in that tournament is making a meta a meta call yeah. and 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 thinking that it's going to be impactful. But if it's not, then it's wasted space, right? Yeah, so. I like how people copy these decks and then try to play them on normal ladder, and they're like, "What am I supposed to use this card yeah. for?" It doesn't make a lot of sense. Spores like, well, is garbage. I've been playing it Skellig all day, and it does nothing. Yeah. Well, why does this pro player use this card? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. You know why they put it in there? Because in a tournament, you need to bring five 
four decks, uh, or you need to bring four decks. So you know yes. that it's gonna eventually find a home to uh, to connect with somebody. Uh, all yeah. right, next up, next one, challenger one four uh, one four ten. Uh, could there be a system which upgrade which upgraded a card or two in the deck for more provisions in exchange to have a higher likelihood of getting it or always having the option of getting it in round three from Mulligan? This is a fascinating one because it's essentially saying, like, for instance, like Heatwave is a ten provision card, but what if it was a twelve provision card, but it it had like not like the calvate effect where it it sort of goes up in your deck but would you would you pay an additional 3 two or three provisions to always have it in your opening hand like that's kind of the the logic here and then the the question kind of is is further elaborated on to say for example like in siege decks if you don't draw siege then you're kind yeah. of like screwed so i would like i'd pay more provisions to have a better shot at drawing siege or whatever look in my opinion, for, first of all, I, I think that I'm safe to say that this will never happen. And the reason why it will never happen, because y y people are already a little Draw bit... Draw fixing. Well, people are already a little annoyed by the fact that it's like, well, the game's kind of... Games that thin very well typically play out very similarly, because you'll always see... Like they're, like those Skellige lists that ran um, Coral and Burnabran and um, the Hamey Skjald or whatever, like the, the ones that really cycle very well and thin with Roach and Knickers and whatever and suddenly and Snowdrop, like you're seeing the cards very consistently as well. The, the, the trade-off there is that you're playing, you have to play these like relatively low tempo cards like Hamey Skjald. Now Hamey Skjald can connect with like a Skirmisher to, to increase its value, but it's not guaranteed, but that's the trade-off. I think that if if that were the case, if like every card had like a two provision tax you could pay to to have it in your opening hand or have a better option of mulliganing into it, then games would be basically the same. It would be all right. Well, I'm playing Siege. I'm playing against Gettyneth. I know mm -hmm. that they're gonna have Siege and they're gonna have Gettyneth. And if that's the case, the people are gonna figure out what the proper round is to play the Siege or play the Gettyneth. And then go from there, and the games are kind of go the same. There has yeah. to be a little bit of, um, you know, uh, I don't say I, I don't call it RNG. I don't think that shuffling cards and drawing them is RNG. I think that's just part of the framework of what card games are, are meant to be. Um, but I think that that needs to be a, a, an element that is constantly there. That you know what, like if if you are living and dying by one card, for instance, siege then that is the game that's the risk you're playing because it's an already very very powerful and and round winning card it's typically you play it you're going to win that round that's why you play it if you are if if you are putting all your eggs in that basket then you should probably play cards that'll allow you to f better find it you know like a stratagem for example that allows you to draw any card you want and shuffle a card back that sort of helps you find a like cursed scroll i think it is and do those kinds yeah. of things. Like that's that's why those are there. You're not getting any tempo from points, but you're getting the card you want. So I, I don't think that it's a good thing to pay more for a card because everybody's going to do it on the same two cards in their list. They're going to do it on the card that wins them the round, and they're going to do it on the card that that they need to stop 
like like Heatwave or something that they absolutely need to, or like Eardin or whatever. And I understand that it, maybe it's a situation where it's like, well, maybe only for a few cards, but what are those cards? And if that's yeah. the case, then everybody's going to have those cards in their deck because they're guaranteed to have these bombs in their hand every yeah. single time. I don't think, I think that any card that starts in your hand is already problematic. And we saw it with Sunset Wanderers mm -hmm. and how impactful that card was because it started in your hand. Torque is another Torque one. Torque and hand buff now. Yeah. No. Like these are, these no. are cards that we see. Uh, Calvate, I mean, Calvate in, in, in his own right is not a guarantee and you have to build a deck around it. So the tax you're paying is by putting a lot of tactics in your deck. But I think that that's, I think that the concept of, of uh, draw certainty pulls away from what card games want to be. It's like, you know, we mentioned Halo. You Take away the randomness from it, right? Yeah. Like in Halo, you, ha you got to go and in some matchups, you got to go and find the battle rifle. But if you're playing in a game where everybody starts with the battle rifle, are you really getting an advantage? Because everybody has one. In that case, again, skill is the dictating factor in terms of wins mm -hmm. and losses. Um, I, I feel like if you do this, you're further creating the schism between gold cards and bronze cards because now yeah. you're, you're top-loading the deck even more by taxing these cards to have them more in their deck and suddenly bronze cards are just like, well, I'm going to play like 10 four-provision cards that mean nothing because I'm guaranteeing that I'm going to get these bombs in my hand and that's how I'm going to win the. And that's how I'm going to win the game. Yeah, I I fully agree with you. Nothing for me to add. Like totally. Yeah, it just makes makes a lot of a lot of sense here. Well, it's a fascinating question. Absolutely, challenger, and I yeah, do appreciate it's, you it's submitting a great it. Question. Absolutely fascinating concept. I, I just don't agree with with what what it's meant to do. And like challenger goes on and says, like you know, there there are games I play where if I don't draw my siege, I just I just. I get, you know, I get salty and I, I go play another game. Well, again, live by the sword, die by the sword. You know, eggs in one basket. If you trip up and you got a face full of yolk, that's on you. Like, you know. Point. That's the, that's, that's the sword you live by. That's the sword you die by, right? Pretty Damn much. right. <laughs> Damn right. So, yeah, especially like uh, moving away from Gwen, like, you know, getting land deficiency or getting ma mana screwed or actually having mana flood is, is part of the whole, the whole experience, right? And sometimes it wins you something, sometimes you lose by it. So that's a I different mean, story because draw I, fixing, uh, that's a different story. Um, and here, here's an example actually about this. Yeah. I actually had a, a long conversation about this this weekend talking about companions in magic. Luris and, or, uh, and Orion or whatever their names are. The best thing that could come to Magic but was implemented in the worst way. Right. <laughs> but those were decks. So it, if, for those who don't know, uh, the set, I believe, was it Ikoria? I think Ikoria, it was Ikoria. Yes. They had, um, I think it was like six different companions. What companions mm -hmm. were were that they started outside of your deck, effectively in your sideboard. They were not in your exile. There was no way that anybody could interact with them. They started outside your deck. It was basically like having a card in your hand that your opponent could not touch. What happened with that was that everybody built decks around these cards because of the certainty of it was was 100%. And cards like Lurus, cards like Ur Urion, uh, there yes. was that Otter or whatever. Kahira. Yeah. There's Kahira. Yeah. No. These were all, all decks that essentially be, like shifted the metas so, so far that like 70 to 80% of metas were like companion decks. So there is so much value in draw certainty that 
it, it ruins it ruins the game. And even when they changed the companion rule, where you now needed to pay three to put the card in your hand and then play it, it was still OP, merely off the fact that you had a guarantee access yeah. to your build around card. And that is way too much. Because if your build around card is Siege and you're always getting it, busted. Insta busted. Yeah. I played Luris in my burn deck before it was banned in Modern. And um, I know why it was banned. Everybody was, sometimes people were just building decks around the companion more than they were building around their own strategy. And uh, yeah, I, I'm not surprised that it got it got banned. Uh, in my Azorius control, I think I still have Kahira, um, although I haven't played that one a lot. Uh, but I know that Yorian piles are very popular in modern right now. So yeah, it's one of those that just, that just pretty much stayed. It's interesting because Zerda and then Umori, those I've never seen like play but yeah i remember they they had to when they first had the companion mechanic they had to like yeah like you said tweak it in order for you to actually pay the mana in order to play it um but yeah it was it was i think one of the designers also said that it was one of the coolest and more more like interesting ideas that they wanted to bring to magic but they didn't really implement it properly and that's why kind of you know they got they got very infamous very quickly busted Absolutely yeah. busting. All right. Next question from Golden Jardy. Hi there. Hello. Um, how are you? I was wondering how the team tries to involve new players like myself into the game and make the learning curve less steep. That's a good one. That is something that we did, I think, more when Jason was um, game director. So we were tweaking everything for the first time user experience as well as tweaking the starter decks and um working on the tutorial for you know the the game to be less steep to get into um but we very quickly learned that whatever we do the game still is going to be quite um difficult to get into um and i feel like with every card game that i played um the tutorial teaches you the basics but then you kind of you get the steering wheel and yeah the game says have fun like um and i feel like with with any card game i played it's just very hard to get into them and i think it's because of the complexity that is beyond the basics of the game like you learn the basics but then when you think about how complicated everything else is it's just crazy i had the same thing with trying out flesh and blood like i've played the blitz deck i learned the abilities i learned the basics quite quickly i had a lot of questions which uh thankfully ryan was there to to answer um you know on the spot and yeah i feel like later on the majority of the information that i get are information from youtube pretty much i see what you know what people actually who make a living out of this to, to some extent or it's simply just their passion if they don't make a living out of it is to create content which lets you um, learn the game and have it explained through, have, have ex things explained which are more complex in a more digestible way. And I always am more drawn into actually checking these out. And for me, it applies to almost everything because when I, when I get into something new or I'm you know ex you know trying to kind of do research on new things, 
is I just go and check out content creators who specialize in this field. And I watch their stuff and I learn from it. And I feel like, um, you know, I have a lot of friends who learned graphic design, 3D animation, uh, sound design, stuff like that through watching YouTube content, which is, I know feels weird, but I feel like this is kind of the, the new generation coming in. Like we don't learn things from textbooks and schools and stuff like that. We learn stuff from people who actually work in the field and are generous enough to spread their knowledge through the new means of media that we have um, instead of just using YouTube for, oh my God, check this out. I spent uh, a thousand bucks in Walmart. Guess what I bought? You know, it's like, <laughs> I don't care. Uh, it's just like trash. It's just like trash, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't information care. that goes out of my head. I much rather use it to learn new things. And, and yeah, whenever I have anything in terms of like questions, I, I actually go outside the game which I know that game developers don't like because they like to like keep people within the game itself. And we tried like a lot of things. We tried implementing videos uh, that when you click on something, there were like explainers from Jason, but then we learned quick, like we quickly learned that they're like too long. They should be more digestible, but how to do it. So it's like, uh, it's always, you know, it's, it's difficult with card games. There's just too much stuff to get into that I feel like you need the experience by just playing and then checking out what others are doing. That's why I also love watching streams because I like people playing things differently and also explaining play-by-play uh, play what they're doing. Shinberry is really good for for those if you want to learn some new stuff. Yeah, Shinberry is excellent at uh, just sort of walking through plays and just uh, you know understanding the, you know, parse, parsing out the decision tree in your mind. Like a lot of people will just have it click. It's like all of that just kind of falls. Like the the Plinko chips go down and they fall where they may in your mind. You're like, okay, that's what I'm going to do because you've already mm -hmm. done it in your head. It's the same for me, like in, in Gwent and in Flesh and Blood. For instance, for example, when, when Arya was here, we were, playing, we were playing Gwent and she was playing against a deck and she was like asking my advice on plays. And in my head, I was like, okay, like, the best move to do is this. And again, the timer is going, so you, you kind of, you got to sort of rush a play. But she's like, why is it this way? And I would explain. And in my head, it's because all of these things fell the way they were. And I would tell her, I'm like, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go bang, 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 because X, Y, Z. She was playing against, like, for example, she was playing against, like, um, a Keltulis list. And she had a squirrel, and she's like, oh, so I just squirrel the Keltulis. I said, you don't squirrel the Keltulis, you squirrel the Defender, because when they play yeah. uh, uh, Sabbath, all these cards come out. You have a heat wave, you just heat wave. They're going to they're gonna put so much protection on that Keltulis that you just heat wave it, because they're going to put all their points into it to protect it, and then you win the game. And because the, the, the obvious answer is to squirrel the Keltulis, but then they're going to put all their points behind a Defender, and you can't touch the Defender. So I was like, squirrel yep. the Defender, kill the stuff. I'm like, you know, but like for beginners, these aren't always, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying Arya's a beginner. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that for beginners, having these kinds of decisions are harder to, to, to parse out because you don't have access to all the information. You don't have all the experiences. And besides a tutorial, many games do not have company made or company sponsored um, tutorial videos beyond just learning the basics of a game. That is what the community is for. That is what YouTubers and streamers are very uh, adept at, at offering the community for new players. 
And the one thing, Golden Jardy, and, and first of all, being a new player, welcome. That's the one thing I want to say is welcome yeah. to the game. And be, you have to be patient and you have to also understand that there's going to be, the learning curve can be painful, but that's true for everything. And Gwent is unique and there's not much that you can translate from magic to bring to Gwent. There's not much you can translate from flesh and blood and bring to Gwent. Whereas magic and Runeterra and Hearthstone have very similar mechanics. So you can say, all right, if I'm aggro, I don't care about these other cards on the board because I'm my objective is to beat this player in the next two turns and they don't have the the board presence to, to stop that. Gwent isn't like that. So it's going to be a more arduous journey for you to go from beginner to to intermediate to advanced to expert to pro. And yes. and the the best things that I can um you know, like it says, how does the team try to involve new players? I don't, I honestly, and I can't say this, you could probably talk about it, but I don't think that Gwent has any plans to flesh out their tutorial system. I don't think that that's on the radar. I think no, that no. besides learning the basics, the, the agency is on the player to to learn and expand their exactly. their, their strategy and their their skill set. But the, the way to do that, Golden Jardy, because I'm not, I don't want to leave you high and dry, is to, is to, play games, be exposed to as many different decks and, and strategies as possible, but don't be discouraged if you lose because, and I know that we say this at the end of every podcast, you're not losing if you're learning. You're, if you're learning something, that is that is that is positive EV on the experience. Yeah, that's and, what we come for when it comes to card games. We come for the learning experience, I feel like. It, that's exactly Winning comes it. second, but you in order to win, you need to learn a lot. Yeah. Now here's the thing, Golden Jardian, and I wrote a five-piece article for Flesh and Blood. It was how to go from uh, from beginner to advanced. And now, excuse me. And now it, it was specifically kind of geared for Flesh and Blood, but the entire article was for any game. the The lessons, the the strategies were good and and translatable to any game. If you want, you can reach out to me on Twitter at WatchFlake. I'll give you the link for the, that article series. I got a lot of good reviews for it. I'm very happy. A lot of people tweeted me weeks after saying, I, I won an armory or I won a tournament or I placed in the top eight of a tournament because nice. of what you told, what you wrote in that article. People started releasing YouTube videos about that article and like narrating the article, which was really flattering to me. But I put a lot of work into it and it, it literally is because like, myself pavel we have decades of experience in card games and sometimes it's hard for new players to learn new games and i will say this jardy it's hard for me too i've been playing card games for almost 25 years and when i pick up a new card game i am in the same boat i'm struggling like i recently yeah. re-picked up runeterra and despite the fact that i'm close friends with a lot of like big big runeterra streamers and casters I asked them for help and I'm still struggling and it's just a learning yeah. curve, but you have to put in the time, you have to put in, in you have to have the patience to, and, and the understanding to know that you are a beginner. So you are going to fail, but as long as you're making progress, you will eventually get there. Yeah, I agree. I have the same thing. Like whenever anything changes and, and Gwent and I have some time to to pick it up, it is a big learning curve for me. And I learn it through other people who are playing it. I also learn it through streaming. When I have actually the time to stream, I, I learn more from chat probably than, than my own plays because they correct my plays from time to time, which can be considered backseating. But in this case, I don't mind it. 
And uh, yeah, I have the same thing now with Flesh and Blood. Like I just started a game, but I've been, you know, checking out content creation on, on that side and kind of trying to uh, understand the game a little bit more. I see, I know there's so much depth in the game also that it is very overwhelming in the beginning. But if you parse it out and you kind of go step by step in terms of like learning everything, uh, I feel like you can keep it in a cadence where it's not, you don't, you don't get the feeling that you're being overflown with information because you're kind of curating what is coming into in into your brain and then you're kind of you know playing it and and, and then utilizing it i i would recommend just go faction by faction check out the content creators that play play this faction or, or have like a tutorial for this deck i mean if you go to playquent.com you have the deck library there are deck guides there they totally uh help out but i feel like for me personally i learned the majority from the stuff just checking out streamers and uh yeah highly recommend shinmiri here uh, also Lionheart, uh, Thea. Thea also does a lot of stuff on, on the YouTube side. Totally um, check out their stuff. Seely is another great example. I mean, we could go on and on and on, but there's there's a lot of good content creators behind Gwent that can help you out in terms of like getting into it. And also it's very funny because um, I don't know if you, if you watch, like I have Twig on Fridays, which is kind of like a uh, talk show where I have Gwen's content creators and a lot of the people who are kind of new faces coming into the game have pretty much said that they learned to play the game from the community and when they started streaming they learned from the community members coming into their chat telling them pretty much how to sequence and play stuff and they were like learning with them and this was a fun experience for them and now they're you know they're creating content for the game itself. So I feel like, you know, this, this aspect of community that we keep on pressing, like, is very, very important. In this case, also, you know, uh, breeds really cool stuff. So totally check it out. I I recently got a few messages from people from the previous mess, uh, from the previous episode where I mentioned that I the only podcast or whatever I've ever declined doing was Twig. And they they may have convinced me that if you want me to do it, I'll do it. <laughs> good so i have rashid in this one and i have someone else for the next one but after that totally would love to have you awesome i will definitely not watch the probably rashid that one. one will be after <laughs> sorry, that, probably that one will be after that. open uh, no no rashid actually brought awesome questions to the to, to the one that we'll have so i can't wait for that one um yeah so I, again then no rush i'm just saying I, I i may have been convinced by some very kind words from the community uh some community people Told you. who messaged Told me you. privately uh, oh, but in the same vein, I also got uh, I got called. Uh, you I, suck. I did. I did get one of those. I did get one of those. I was called a CDPR simp by somebody because oh. yeah, they they asked the question and I answered it. And the I guess the the answer I gave was not wasn't it, good enough. Yeah, it was it was like a question akin to like um you know uh you know why is CDPR so stupid doing blah 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 blah. And the answer I gave was like. Well, it's just not possible to do, you know, all this stuff because there's, you know, resources limited. Wow, what a stupid CDPR simp. I was like, what? Like, do you, do you listen to the show? Like, I love Gwent. I am also very, very critical very and honest critical. about, I'm very critical yeah. and honest about Gwent. I tell you what I love and I tell you what I do not agree with. Like, this is, that is like the first thing 
that was like, okay, you're clearly ridiculous. Because if you listen to any of the episodes, I am I, I, I talk about what I love about the game, and I'm very, very candid about what I do not agree with about the game. Yeah. And like and this I is not this is like only like maybe five percent of the stuff that you also pass on to us as feedback that is constructive about new sets, new cards, draft, other stuff. Yeah. Esports tournaments, there is a lot of stuff that Flake yeah. passes on, which is not always super, you know, hey, giddy up, awesome stuff, high five, whatever you do, we like it. I love it, but it's it's very constructive and sometimes it's just, you know, straight to the point. So uh that's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's how that's how progress is made. Like if I was just out there to pat you on the back and say, Hey, this is awesome. Uh yeah. keep Great keep it stuff. up. Yeah, like well then nothing ever changes if it's just constant yeah. like Anyway, that that said, that, that was just funny to me when I got that message. I was like, "Okay, clear, clearly you you must be new here. Uh, we'll get you into the onboarding program. Like, welcome aboard, friend." Uh, so that was yep. funny. Uh, all right, last question is from Admirable Bye. Kitchen. Yes. All right. This is uh, yeah, this is yours. Go for it. Is there anything that the dev team would love to implement into the game, but just haven't had the time or resources to do so? Premium tokens! Dude, did, Damn did you it, see? that was mine! Did that you was see? mine! Did you see how many premium token questions there were this week? All it was right. awesome! This was like, it was like we had a week off, and then all of the uh, the zombies came back to life. Dude, because there's nothing else to complain. New meta, fresh meta, stuff has changed. Aaron died, got a, got a nerf. So we got to go back to the, you know, the same train of premium tokens. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. It was, it was incredible. My favorite one of all of this was like the, you guys promised them, what's the deal? When <laughs> can we, can, can you stop our suffering? Dude. Go touch some grass, buddy. Like if this is if you're if you are quote unquote suffering because you're not seeing a, a an Arrakis drone jiggle Dude, its, its legs. Like I and, and to your credit, Pavel, you actually answered with nope. <laughs> Just <laughs> easy nope. And uh, people are catching on to the June first thing because I keep dropping June first. Somebody even asked me like, is like June first an actual date? Like you keep saying, is it a joke? Like what's the deal? And I we're already passed it. Yeah. Oh wait, it's well, June fifteenth as we're yeah. recording. This. My reply was, "Well, June second's too late." So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, yeah, premium so tokens. Uh, premium tokens for sure. Um, the second one is spectator mode. The third one is uh, draft mode. Draft mode working properly. The fourth one is super huge expansions. The fifth one is. Um, I think I'm running out. Dagon? <laughs> yeah, Dagon. All the uh, stuff that we keep the, saying is not going to happen. One. Yeah, the classic ones. Oh, yeah, but, it, but in all seriousness, I feel like um, Spectator is something for sure. Um, I know there are questions also about in-game chat. That's never happening. It's not, the, it's not a question of resources or not. Um, but for sure, I would say like, you know, having premium tokens, having bigger expansions with more cars, I feel like that is not something that we have the time and resources right now with the current scope of the project and the current roadmap that we have. And yeah, I'm thinking if there's anything else, but I feel like, no. All right. I'm going to throw an extra a mm -hmm. bonus question in here because this one's actually pretty decent. And I dropped the June 1st, like, you know auto reply to it but it actually is a pretty good question from uh 
Cheech96, when are we going to see new keywords or statuses? I think that this is an actually decent question. And I want to, I forgot to throw this one in here. Um, Next card drop. Yeah, there you go. Next card drop. New, new statuses or keywords. And I've seen them and they're actually pretty cool. I think that these are actually pretty decent. Um, I'm not going to, I almost said what it was, but I'm not going to. Don't spoil it. I won't, but I've seen them. Reveal season is coming soon. Yeah. Stay tuned. So there yeah. you go, Cheech. I'm sorry that uh, I, I actually wanted to include this on the thing. I think I, I may have. Again, I dropped, I dropped the auto reply of June 1st, but there is actually the next card drop is going to have yeah. new keywords and stat, new keywords or statuses or both. I forgot if there's a new status coming out. I don't think there's a new status, but I know that there's new keywords. Uh, I could be wrong. I didn't. I didn't look at the new cards very intently because they came out while I was in Vegas. And let's be real. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's really hard to 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 yeah. Long story short, I was uh, at a point I was playing five hundred dollar hand Gao, and don't ask me how that happened because. It wasn't yeah. my money, but I will tell you that that is an actual story. Maybe on a future yeah. episode, that could be like a, a a Gwent behind the scenes or a Flurza after dark episode where I may Ooh. tell you that story. But um, yeah. yeah, yeah, there is a status among them. So oh yeah. oh. Oh, there you go, Cheech. Big time. If you stay till the end of the episode, congratulations. You just found out that new keywords or statuses are coming with the new cards. You know what? I'm gonna go to the the new card leaks file. And I'm going to just start reading off the cards. So No. Uh, <laughs> That's Fleur's After Dark. That is Fleur's After Dark. That's a tier four Patreon members. Um, yes. Ooh, nice. Along with uh, photos of, of, of biceps and other parts oh, of our you body. Know what? <laughs> we should, we should, uh, we should uh, kick up a, a Patreon, I think. I don't know. Uh, I figure like, you know what, for the questions that come in and stuff, like some priority questions, we could have the... We can have the um, the Dagon tier, the premium token tier. We can have all of the tiers. Renfrey tier. The Renfrey yeah. tier. Yeah, like we can have all the different tiers for uh, for our Patreon. And I think that like we're giving some sweet perks could be an idea. We'll have to talk about this again. We don't want to like, we're not trying to like squeeze money out of anybody. We, we just like to talk about cards, but uh, it's, yep. it's just pretty, pretty funny. All right. Uh, anything else you want to squeeze into this one? No, I think we're good. I don't think there's anything that we missed. I'll just have one quick glance over if there anything came in through uh, Twitter because these were mainly, I think, all of these were off of um, the the our lovely uh, Reddit, yeah. Reddit. And there was a question about uh, by Maximum the Gavre about giving, which is actually a good question. Would there ever be a possibility of an option to give um, the AI a deck that you want to play against yeah. in training mode? That was a fascinating feel, one. Yeah, and and it's a yes and a no because I feel like that we would need to update our AI's mind in order to play some of the high level skill decks because some of some of the plays are kind of done in a very random way. So we would need to have an AI that you know is almost as smart as a human, which is going to be quite difficult to do. Um, yeah, so that would be cool to do, but I find like it's one of those things that would be hard to implement, which kind of throws into the hard to implement question that was before that. Yeah. Yep, I hear you. All right, good episode. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Again, um, I, I miss Amen. you so much, and but it was, Likewise. yeah, it was nice to, to sort of chat briefly 
over the weekend. The when best you... part was sending you those photos of us playing Flesh and Blood and you reacting with like this sheer joy. And it was, oh, I was just so good to see. And everybody was having such a good time. It was just, oh, it was incredible. Well, that's the beauty of it. And like, I showed all my friends and I said, I'm like, hey. That's even better. Because they, they know how much, like they know how much I love Gwent and, and how I'm, you know, and how that's kind of what launched my career into card game broadcasting and stuff like that. And when I showed them, I said, listen, I'm like, this is like, this is the Gwent development team. You know, I'm like, I'm like, that's the game director right there. That guy, that's the game director playing flesh and blood. I'm like, and then part of it is just, it's not to say like, oh, look, look, I, I hooked him in. It's just, a, it's just a matter of saying we're card game players. Like we, we yeah. want to play all kinds of different things, you know? And what a lot of people don't understand is the first time I ever went to Warsaw for an event, I, I played Magic against you. I played Magic against Vlad. I played Magic against Mogwai. We played Mag like we were there yeah. between between recording and rounds and, and playing Magic cards. Like it was, we're just card game lovers, and that's what this podcast is all about. And that's why I love having you uh, do this with me every week. Yeah, likewise. I just love the you know the possibility of us just sitting out and talking. I know probably a lot of you have noticed that we're kind of moving away from Gwent, but we're kind of focusing on card games as a whole. And I feel like it, it more shows our combined um, history and expertise in, in between other card games. And kind of we're kind of trying to bring this podcast to a direction where we talk about everything card game that excites us. And it doesn't matter what it is. Mm -hmm. And of course, we're happy to see, like hear your opinions if you like this direction. If you want us to bring it back a little bit more to the Gwent side, or maybe oh, you want don't to ask more that, about man. Our, you know what our, you know what the answer is going to be. No, it's I don't. I feel like it's it's it, I feel like it's going to be a mix. Like also, it would be nice to get you know a wider crowd uh, to recognize us for other stuff that we do. I know I'm seen mainly through the perspective of Gwent, 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 but there's also other stuff that I that I do in life, uh, biking, playing other card games. So, yeah, yeah, I've been trying to. Uh, I've been I've been exposing like my my went community or my god sorry my flesh and blood community to this podcast as well um where it's like hey if you like my flesh and blood stuff i'm like we there's a big chunk of what i talk about with uh with my buddy about it and i make and my buddy is getting into flesh and blood so you have two very uh different perspectives on the game you have the absolute beginner perspective and then you have the the i don't want to say expert perspective but like the the like the the advanced to expert opinion and and perspective that I bring to for the game itself and it's just it's awesome and and yeah. uh yeah let's uh so fun so fun let's uh end it the way we end it every week and say uh I love you Pavel I love you too bro all right well friends thank you so much for listening to the Flurza experience it's been episode 20 be sure to follow and uh hit the uh, subscribe button there on uh, Gwentfinity check out at Gwentfinity at 983TV, at Pavel Burza, at WatchBlake. Do all the jamboree. <laughs> Get it all done, friends. There's so many ways that you guys can reach out to us, and we love to, to, to speak to you. You can send me all the hate mail you want, friends. I don't care. I thrive on it. If, I'm here. If you send me hate mail, that's one... That's time that you're wasting out of your day that you're not going to go ahead and send That's it to somebody one else. Thrive trigger on 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 uh, Flake. Yeah, it does not bother me at all. In fact, it's hilarious. So please, yeah. Uh, but yeah, be kind to one another, friends. That's what's most important. And you're not losing if you're learning, right? Remember that. Remember that. Remember that, friends. You know what? We're gonna. Like, I think that like we've just naturally traded catchphrases, as it were. Yeah. That's you how you we got that you're not you're losing if you're learning, and I've got the. Bye.
Bye.